welcome to the Aquas Podcast, conversations about regs, funds, and governance with your host, Daniel Lawler. Welcome podcast listeners to the Aquas Podcast. My name is Daniel Lawler and I'm the MD of Aquest. If you're new to our podcast, do hit the subscribe button so that you'll be notified of all of the latest podcasts. And of course, if you like the podcast, don't be shy about smashing the like button as well. This is the Protect Accent campaign episode, and I'm delighted to be joined by two wonderful guests. I have Adrian Whelan of Brown Brothers Harry Man fame, who is an ambassador for the Protect Accent campaign, and also the wonderful Shannon Eastman, who is my regular co-host. Now, if you tune in, and your motivation is to listen to my dulcet tones and knowledge that I'm able to share with everybody, this is probably not the episode for you because the two guys take over and put me in my box. But in fairness, they have some really heartfelt conversation about what it means and what it's like to be in an industry where you have an accent that's different than the norm and how that impacts individuals and how that can change and what needs to happen. Lots of information about the Protect Accent campaign and how firms and individuals can get involved. So do follow the links below if you're interested. Uh, but in the meantime, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of the Press Podcast with me, although you can't tell, <laughs> Daniel Orr, but especially thanks to Adrian and Shannon for the contributions. Right, on with the podcast. Welcome, Shannon and Adrian, to the Equest Podcast. Great to have you guys here. We'll start with Shannon. 31st of July. 31st of July. It's, it's Friday. week 2,056 <laughs> in the Big Brother household. <laughs> the year of the apocalypse. How are you doing? I'm grand and happy. You with say a that little every bit. Time. With a, well, yeah, I, I love that expression. I am grand and happy. With a smidgen of, you know, apocalyptic wonder, bewilderment. It'll be nice to see the kids going back to school and a bit more structure. I, I am looking forward to that. Your answers are always so much bigger than mine. Uh, <laughs> I tell you why I'm happy and why I'm delighted to have Adrian on this podcast because uh, I know we're going to talk about a range of things, technical and non. But I think Adrian's a football man and my football team after 16 years in the wilderness. Man United. <laughs> Do you believe um, that, Adrian? Liverpool. What? Leeds United after 16 Leeds years United. in the wilderness. Finally, finally got themselves out of the doldrums of the channel. Adrian, you are a football man. Please tell me you're a football man. I am a football Well, that's soccer. Football, real football, as you know, is GAA <laughs> football, Gaelic football. But I am a big sports fan. I was actually very happy to see Leeds United go up, if I'm honest, because a fellow Finglas man, Paul Reid, who heads up our HSE, which have combated this recent uh, pandemic, he's a Leeds man as well, so I was delighted for him. Well, Shannon is no use to me when it comes to football talk, so it's been completely lost in our feelings, so I've been trying to, to immerse myself in, in the joy of getting promoted. But I, do I do think it'll be interesting to see El Loco Bielsa in the Premier League. Um, I think there's a lot of kids, particularly, are interested in, in football, won't mm -hmm. know that Bielsa was one of the major inspirations behind um, Guardiola's approach to football and Klopp. In terms and of press, and Pochettino, in terms of the high press and, and manic energy that's required, is yeah. Adrian a Leeds man? Adrian said he's not declared an interest. 
What's no, I, I, in terms of um, soccer, it would be Tottenham Hotspur, which is fairly embarrassing. That's probably one of the more embarrassing things I've ever said. I've been to Tottenham. Podcast. Have you? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a great place. Interesting. They have a good team. They have a good team. Yeah, the Mourinho uh, factor is interesting. Um, yeah. We'll see what he does next year. Yeah, so we could have a modicum of success, but stylistically, a lot of the Tottenham fan base wouldn't be overly happy. You want to join the Leeds family? Uh, uh, <laughs> I will say, we are actually not going to spend the entire time. Thank you. But <clears throat> in terms of Elsa, he is a pure coach. And he is... Uh, uh, he has come in and taken a group of players that finished mid-table, 13th, and with pretty much exactly that same group, through his coaching and his staff, uh, got them third last year and, and first this year. Oh, yeah, Danny, I, again, I, 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 again, without moving it or segueing it away from football, Bielsa is interesting because he is obsessed. And again, you think about work-life balance and trying to maintain balance, you know, in, in office life or work life or any aspect of work life. Bielsa has never really had that balance. He literally is obsessed with football. And it's interesting. And I'm not, I don't mean that in a negative way. I think when you want to overachieve in something, that balance needs to change. And you do need to commit to things. Um, and he's an interesting character because he's lasted so long at the level of intensity. And I think he would kind of... And HR people will be shocked at me saying this. He would laugh at the concept of life balance. He he thinks you should be dedicated to your art and your craft because he has been for over fifty years. So I just find him a fascinating guy. Absolutely, and that title El, El Loco, the the crazy one, isn't when he came in. I didn't know enough about him. I thought you know this kind of Latin temperament and what have you. It's not at all. It's the obsession. That's the that's the crazy thing. Yeah. And it is not work life balance. It is work work work. Which I guess is why his his managership of clubs has tended to last about two years at a max, because him and, and his staff and the players are probably burnt out after that. Yeah. Having said that, uh, he's two years down at Leeds and hopefully going to stay for many more. Uh, we will see. Let's move on from. And I'm glad to have a little chat at Leeds. There we go. Uh, <laughs> we've just recorded a video on your channel, uh, Adrian, on the on Reg series about the mock. Dear CEO letter, uh, which was fun. Thank you very much for that. No, appreciate it. Thanks. Um, it was a, it was an interesting piece of work doing that letter, wasn't it, Shannon? Like the reaction to it, the stir was uh, well, crazy. It, it's been a long time coming. Yeah. The thematic review, um, the expectation, uh, what's going to be in it, and then I would say this perception that. Um, it's almost an unconscious perception that it won't be that bad because the industry isn't really taking any steps right now uh, in a practical, obvious way to align to it, yet they're waiting for the letter to arrive and then they're going to take action. And so sitting on the periphery, just watching the interaction between you know, the firms that are in conversation with you and talking to some people that I know in the industry was this mixed feeling of, sure, there'll be a letter and we'll figure it out then. But when your mock version of the letter, I think there was a thousand over a thousand downloads in 48 hours. That surprised me a little bit because it was um, quite a swift response to something that I thought they were quite happy to just wait and see. Definitely a wait and see attitude, which you can understand. It's going to be, uh, we've got a fix that's going to be expensive. And so it's probably human nature. Yeah, and you you know a lot of human behavior to, to wait until the gun is to your head. Um, but the, the day of reckoning on that is, is coming. 
sooner rather than later. But that's not what we actually want to talk about an awful lot in this podcast. We want to talk about Adrian and his involvement in the Project Accent campaign. Uh, I have been following uh, the Protect Accent campaign for at least four months now. I definitely noticed it uh, over on Adrian's LinkedIn profile. Actually, Danny, that was about four months ago when I got you to sit down and watch that video with me. I was curious about the context and the nuance, uh, maybe because I'm, I'm an outsider, I'm not uh, born and raised here. Um, but before we get carried away and get stuck into this conversation, Adrian, would you give us the background and the context for the Protect Accent campaign to get us started? So the Protect Accent campaign is interesting. Um, not my campaign. There's a fantastic founder, Goody Okachukwu, um, who actually lives near Bradford in the UK. And, and she started this campaign. Um, she had experienced accent bias and discrimination in her own work, both in academia, so universities, and she worked in the health um, services in the UK as well, in, in the north of England. Um, and she just contacted me, I guess, very simply, having seen some interview or other I'd, I'd done um, on LinkedIn. As you know, I'm, I, I spent most of my life in the cyberverse um, on LinkedIn in my professional world. Um, Protect Accent is a campaign and a movement which wants to highlight and ultimately eradicate accent-based discrimination in the workplace and other sectors of society. So very simply, um, it's a project very close to my own heart. Uh, very briefly, my own backstory, I was born in Finglas in the north side of Dublin, uh, what would be deemed a lower socioeconomic area. And accent discrimination has a huge uh, intersectionality with underrepresented communities. Um, your voice, everyone has a voice, or most people have uh, voices. Uh, voices who you are, if you have a voice, you have an accent. So an accent is a central part of your authentic self. Um, my own community isn't particularly represented well or at all in the industry that I work in, unfortunately. And um, there's actions in place uh, to you know, make it more inclusive. Uh, but progress is slow. I think how people speak, um, definitely there's an element of bias and discrimination, but also the confident levels as people look for jobs in certain spheres um, go down. Uh, migrant workers, lower socioeconomic areas, etc. I think um, it can have a hugely corrosive effect if people comment on your accent and, and that you're different. Again, I've experienced that myself. But again, they're the kind of negatives. But again, the driver of the campaign is to inspire people who maybe uh, you know have a, a strong accent, that they should be proud of it, they should share, they should speak up. It's not always the case. Um, that you can feel empowered to do that. But I suppose me and the, and the, and the campaign of Protect Accent wish to drive that uh, thought process, both on the, you know, the, the incumbents and the, you know, the employers and on the job applicants and, 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 and that side of the fence. So again, it's, it's close to my heart. I'm happy to be here to discuss it. I um, have uh, a lot of thoughts going through my head about this idea of eradicating. Uh, I noticed you used the word bias as opposed to unconscious bias. Uh, that wasn't lost on me either. Um, and, and I think there is, there is definitely a bias. Someone with a foreign accent, I've experienced my own um, exchanges uh, with locals and expats here. Um, but I, 
I'm struggling with the idea that we can eradicate the bias um, because it is so ingrained in us. I think we can start shifting that narrative. This is just my opinion. But I also am seeing another side of it. So as someone who would come from a, a lower socioeconomic neighborhood as well, um, there is a corrosive experience that takes place when you apply for uh, positions that tend to have a mixture of people who are from the right postcode and the right schools. And I'm just wondering how this uh, campaign could invite the people from the lower socioeconomic neighborhoods to feel more confident, to feel supported, to have a community of people that they can interact with so that they can bring a more, not positive, but a more authentic and confident self to an interview, knowing that you know, there's people like yourself who are excelling in the industry, Adrian, like you've done well for yourself and you no doubt would have had a, a set of obstacles that other people in your industry may not have experienced, although they would have had their own obstacles. Um, I don't, I definitely don't want to sound negative about it, but I think I'm practical about, you know, changing the narrative and as well as supporting uh, the people from lower socioeconomic neighborhoods to show up um, and to take that uh, interview and to be confident with how they articulate themselves. Yeah. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's interesting. So there's, there's a lot to unpack there, Shannon. And again, unconscious bias. I, I don't disagree that it exists, right? I'm not saying, it, but again, there's a lot of these bad behaviors are learned behaviors. Yeah. Um, unconscious bias as a term, I think it lets people off the hook a little bit too easy. You know, oh, you know, all my team are, are monoculture because, oh, well, unconscious bias. So, you know, it's out of my control. Um, I, 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 flip, I flip it sometimes. Why not be consciously unbiased? Why don't you actually think, okay, I'm genuinely committed to not being biased. I'm going to think about it. And then those thoughts are going to drive my actions. So I'm consciously, I've got two open recs at the moment. And this is intersectional, right? I have two open recs for a job at the moment. Unconscious bias might, you know, suggest that, okay, I'm just going to take in two people that I know or are similar to me. Being consciously unbiased says, I've two open recs. One of them recs I'm going to fill consciously with an underrepresented, you know? And, and, and again, the, it, it can work in reverse. You can use a person's name, you can use a person's postcode, you can interview them and, and, and recognize their accent is something that's underrepresented in your firm. And you can consciously make a decision to, us, to bring that level of diversity into your firm. Um, on the it'll never work, I again disagree because there's concrete action. If you see social media right at the moment, yeah, there's a lot, you know, everyone's competing for, for space. But again, the intersectionality here of accent bias is interesting because it includes things like Black Lives Matter. It includes employee well-being, psychological safety that we're all craving and looking to, to provide employees um, in remote work and in the lockdown. And there's concrete steps you can take, OK, to show that you're just not going to just put up vacuous statements on social media. You're not just going to like and share posts. You're actually going to make a change if you're empowered to do so in your business. Um, accent, there's an accent charter. There's one physical manifestation of our campaign, actually. And all the accent charter asks is that you publicly sign up your firm or your organization to say that you will recognize 
and work to eliminate our um, accent bias and discrimination. It's free, it's easy, and it's a, it, it's a pretty easy commitment to make because most firms are well-intended and are already looking at this. Um, There's, um, can, I, can I jump in here, Adrian? Of course, yeah. Um, I, I really have been fascinated in watching this campaign for the last few months. Uh, partially, I wanted to educate myself on um, you know, some of the, the things that are going on here in a country that I'm reasonably new to, but not completely new to. Um, but the other thing is, I'm reminded of a couple of quotes. One is, uh, I think it's Carl Jung who said, one of the roots of suffering is to believe that you are in conversation with a person who is rational and has the ability to think for themselves. Um, and then the other quote is uh, probably from generations back, you might recognize it, the unexamined life is not worth living. And yet so few of us do that. So I think my, uh, and I also want to talk about the charter, um, very concrete step, definitely a right move um, to facilitate at least awareness that this is going on. But the conversations that firms have in the boardroom very rarely get it, leave the boardroom. Um, and then I think the other thing I'm, I'm feeling hesitant about, you know, how fast this change can come about is there's an education piece to educate people on the commercial value of diversity and inclusion because they need an incentive to care. We need, we need to make it important to them. We need to speak to them about it in their language. Otherwise, they're not going to listen. And then the second thing is experience. People who are well-traveled, people who've lived abroad, you know, they would bring an innate wisdom and innate knowing and innate understanding about the value of multiple accents, multiple, multiple socioeconomics. But in the absence of that, people who've never left the island but come from the right postcode, I mean, there's just a, an experience gap there that I'm not sure a charter will be, it'll be a step in the right direction, but I think it's a much longer process just based on how hard it is change people's behavior um so yeah, no just to jump in if i may so, yeah. so the charter the charter is one step and as, as, as i'm saying we, we've launched it and we're pushing it at the moment but again the, i couldn't agree more that there's other initiatives that we're doing so there's not enough data and empirical evidence that accent-based uh, discrimination exists so we've created a survey that's out there on social media already to try to get more data around this is it on your website? Where can people go to? Yeah, so it, it's on the protect. So www.protect and then and then uh, hyphen accent dot com. Um, it is there, and it's on my uh, LinkedIn feed. If, if and we'll link okay. to it as well. Yeah, we can link to it. And yeah. the other thing is that again, we have a program of activity and training and education um, off the back of it as well. So on accent based and. and um, Inclusion. So again, there is there is training and materials and courses that, that people can sign up specifically to the campaign. But more generally, it's just interesting, again, what you were saying. So the existing Irish program for government for the first time has included socioeconomic status um, and discrimination within um, looking to legislate against that, which is interesting because of the, the strong intersectionality between accent and socioeconomic. And then... Yeah. I do, I do love your, I'm not going to call it cynicism, but I do love the fact I'm a pragmatist, right? I, I, I agree. I worry about change. And I loved some of your quotes. And I, again, Derek Bell, who was the first tenured 
Harvard uh, law professor, African-American. Um, it's a quote I've been using recently, and I'll just match your two with my one. But uh, he said, it appears that my worst fears have been realized. We've made progress in everything, yet nothing has changed. Mm. And that's what I really worry about. And again, what I was trying, I don't like to be negative, but all these social media campaigns, all these very lofty statements across the board, they need to result in concrete action or else they're just words. And I do worry about certain things just being a moment rather than a movement. Um, and this is why I, 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 we need people to actually move away from liking, sharing and moral support to financial resource and signups, you know, commitments. That we have to make it real and relevant to those individuals. And if there isn't anything going on besides likes and shares at the moment, then we haven't found the right narrative with which to engage, I'm gonna use the word masses, the people who we need to enlist in this, I'm gonna use the word movement, because I like that, it shouldn't be a moment. We need to make it compelling and relevant to them. And until we make it compelling and relevant to them, we haven't given them a reason to care. And we're talking about changing behavior, that is significant. Um, uh, one final thing, and then I, I want to bounce the ball over to Danny, who's so graciously letting me take over right now. But one final thing is, uh, there is some data that I'm going to dig out and pass on to you, Adrian, which is um, people who have perceived that they have had a harder go at life than others um, tend to be, and this is in the high 90s, but I'll get the data for you, um, more creative in their problem solving, more persistent and determined in their action, and more resilient in the face of setback. And, and I guess when I say that out loud, it sounds pretty obvious because typically people who come from lower socioeconomic environments um, have had to cross a lot more hurdles in order to, well, I'm drawing a example from a barrister that I know here in Dublin from Finglas, um, and he's told me many times stories about Trinity and what that was like for him and what he had to do to get to where he is today, um, myself included. So there, when you employ or engage uh, a candidate with particular acts in our neighborhood, postcode, et cetera, you know, there's a high probability that the person you're bringing into your organization has a set of qualities that's different from the others around the table. And that's not to put the bias in the other way, but if you've had to overcome 150 more obstacles than your neighbor, then you just have 150 more opportunities to learn how to do that. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, on that Adrian. And I know Danny has some comments here. I, I just worried about Danny. Danny, you still here? You all right? <laughs> As if I had a, a, a choice, Adrian, <laughs> but to let Shannon rant. No. <laughs> no. Important conversation to dissect. One thing, just, and I, I, Danny, sorry, we, we'll, we will let you talk. But just on that point, I couldn't agree more on resiliency, right? And again, I can only, my own lived experience, right? It does make you a little bit more resilient without any doubt right there are challenges and obstacles you overcome um, but again street kids if i can use that street kids have a huge amount of what we call street wisdom uh, they can think on their feet they're usually good articulators and and people call me a regulatory expert i'm not i'm a good communicator 
and I can kind of, again, think on my feet as required. I think that's, if anything, that's the skill um, that I have and communication. And again, the other thing, I work in financial services. Um, if you come from a lower socioeconomic background, you don't have any taboos about talking about money. <laughs> you don't have any taboo about having an honest row. Um, there's a huge upside. <laughs> there's a huge upside in corporate culture to actually having people who are a little bit more comfortable with nuance and conflict. And again, that's uh, again, I, I'm talking about myself, but other people that I'm, um, I'm with you, I grew Adrian. Up with. I think that I think that's a part of growing up in in that environment. That's a huge positive and benefit uh, to yeah. people who have had the opportunity to experience it. Uh, I, I'm sitting here nodding my head as someone who. Uh, comes from a significantly lower socioeconomic neighborhood. Um, I'm so grateful that I have, and yeah. I did. I'm so grateful that I had the obstacles and challenges that I had to overcome because I'm deeply comfortable being uncomfortable and all the skills that come with those challenges and setbacks. And that's not to say that there are some people from our neighborhoods who have hit those challenges and just went, ah, sure, I'm done here now. I'm going to go and do some other options or other choices that might be less productive in some people's opinion. Um, but I think for the most part, if you've got someone applying for a job in our industry from that type of neighborhood, I mean, what it took for them to get there, you've got a very interesting candidate. Danny, I'm going to stop talking. <laughs> oh. I get to say something on my own podcast. Oh my God. I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm being discriminated against. For my accent on my own podcast. Oh, Daddy! I tell you what, I I say I'm from Navan, but I'm not really. I'm from the countryside, seven miles outside. I only say Navan. That's so lost on me. I, I don't <laughs> even know where Navan is on the map. But it, it it strikes me a couple of things. Um, looking at it from an individual's perspective, I think role models must be very important to be able Ooh, to see yeah. that somebody has done this before me. It is possible to do it because if. If you feel that your accent is different from the people that you're going to be interviewed by or potentially working with, and it's not just it's, different, but valued differently. Yeah, it affects your confidence. Yeah, it weigh on you. Makes as, you self-conscious. Yeah, makes you self. -conscious. So I think to see that others have done this before you and that it is possible must help and must uh, make people feel more confident about putting themselves forward for jobs or positions that they otherwise would say. They don't, you know, they don't want somebody like me there. The other thing, before you <laughs> take off again, Shannon, the other thing I think is that the, the, the focus in regulatory, regulated firms at the moment from the regulator, particularly on diversity, must play a role here as well. Because you talked a lot there about resilience and about the, the ability to think in your feet and, and the, the skills and the life experience that somebody brings. Oh, yeah. Uh, and the danger, you go back to the banking crisis, or you go back to the whole report and what the central bank had to say about it. They talked an awful lot about but being afraid to rock the boat, about people from the same backgrounds taking, and not nobody being there to challenge and say, is this, is this the right thing to do? And, and so then part of the reason why there's so much focus, and it tends to focus a lot on gender diversity, because that's easier to measure, because you can look at how many individual questionnaires the central bank has received, and it's easy to divvy them up. But it's more than that. It's about having people with different perspectives and from different experiences that will ask questions that you didn't think to ask yep. because you're a trendy graduate, you're a trendy graduate, you're a trendy and graduate. And I'm street smart. And you're challenged. Yeah. Uh, so, so from both sides, there's benefit to it. I think 
firms pushing their diversity agenda have every reason to consider accents as being part of that of that uh, uh, movement or part of that effort. And it's not just about we're doing it for social. Re- you know, it's, there, there's there's more real and if you want to measure it financial value. But Danny, just to jump, I just very briefly, uh, you make great points there. Again, this is not just a right on social cause, right? And I, again, not just accent, but again, diversity and inclusion. I've said this about ESG, sustainable investment as well. It's not just a social movement and a right on cause. It shouldn't just be PR marketing. There's discernible, again, there's proof of discernible, better business outcomes, profitability and productivity from genuinely committing to this. And again, the Central Bank of Ireland put out a decent report this week, a thematic assessment of DNI in insurance firms, right? The Central Bank of Ireland, to bring it a little bit more close to your usual uh, uh, content, and they're very focused on this from a culture uh, point of view and a regulatory footing. They are creating good data sets and transparent data sets. And again, the numbers don't look great, let's be honest, but at least we have that baseline to work on. And I think the Central Bank of Ireland, interesting, are very um, committed to this and earnest and sincere, is the word I was looking yeah. for. About but, but from their perspective, I think it's great to see. Yeah, and from their perspective, again, it's not a social justice issue. When you go, no. it's about. <laughs> Certainly not. No, it's not. It's about I'm the regulator, I have a certain amount of supervisors on my staff. And I have way more firms, so I can't sit on everybody's shoulder all the time. I have to trust that regulated firms are making good decisions for the people whose money they are managing, or whatever the situation. And so to do that, I need to know that the conversations that happen are conversations that are challenging and that you're not just taking the easy option in favor of the firm. So I have to trust that that's what's happened when I'm not there. And diversity yeah. builds in, well, at least in the regulation. If you look at it in the absence of diversity, it's the same old people doing the same old decisions with the same old, it's an echo chamber. That's the word I'm looking for. So in the absence of diversity, you live inside an echo chamber, which becomes stale, stagnant. There's no growth, there's no change. There's no innovation. There's nothing that allows you to expand and develop and grow. Whereas if you were to bring in diversity and you were able to facilitate a space with which those people can interact and exchange in a meaningful way, then you synthesize the experience around the table, the conversations and the challenges into the ideal outcome for the business. Um, And so it does make a lot of sense, but we're people who operate in diverse communities already and have seen the benefits. For the people who, and there's many firms in the FS space today who (laughs) tick the DNI box by saying, sure, we've just hired your woman to be our office manager. That's happening today. So there's a gap in understanding the value of DNI in a commercial sense, which that education needs to take place. People are scared of change. And the only way to, it's not the only way, but one of the ways to facilitate that is education. Education in their language, in their narrative that makes it relevant to them. Well, tell me this then. Do you think, we, we talked at the outset about the DRCO letter C86 and firms yeah. not acting until the gun is to their head. Do you think that the only way you get real action on something like diversity, including accent, is a gun to the head in the form of a, some sort of a, a numerical two, limit? There's two ways. If you're operating at a very basic reactive level, then it's pain or pleasure, carrot and stick. It always has been that way. So I'm either going to put a gun to your head or I'm going to give you some form of motivation, which is always external to the individual, 
And as soon as that motivation is taken away from the individual, that person no longer feels inclined to change. That's a very basic reactionary, um, limbic brain, adrenaline, fear of, or rush excitement of getting something. And then the other place is people who are actually um, committed to self-improvement, innovation, growth in a form that has them responding to their environment in ways that they're deliberately looking for improvement. And so you've got this very basic pain, pleasure, carrot stick environment, which firms use. There's lots of good data around incenting salespeople to do X, Y, and Z in order to meet targets. But if you take away that motivation, your salespeople won't have the impetus within them to achieve anything. That's why they exist in business. But if you have someone who, like Adrian, he's naturally inspired from within to make a difference in this particular area. And he, look, at it, look at the commitment he's making to it. Nobody yeah. needs to externally motivate him. No, but there's not many Adrians in the world. Who says who? I, I think you, sorry, I don't mean to say, oh, I'm not gonna apologize. I didn't mean that. Adrian, I see you as a role model. I definitely appreciate seeing someone like you who, I appreciate your background and, and I identify with it a lot. So I see you as a role model. And I think you give people like me and others in the industry or who want to be in the industry permission to do more with their quote unquote background and legacy. Do you see that yourself? Yeah, I, yeah so I'm typically Irish. I don't like compliments, Shannon, so stop it. But uh, yeah, no, I do see myself. I'm, I was a reluctant role model, but I absolutely am now. And even You're a role model, of course you are. And role modeling is important. And I, I'll use an anecdote um, that displays that. Again, I, I, so I played Gaelic football as a youngster for Ballymun Kickham. Is that Gav? Yeah, that's, that's Gav. Yeah. Okay. And, and Danny, Danny being a mead man, um, this might be hurtful to him, but there used to be a big rivalry between Dublin and mead. But because we're so far ahead now, um, it's become, that is all it's true, become, it's become an irrelevance. But anyway... <laughs> A well-known, again, I don't, know many, I don't know how many GA fans listen to this podcast, but everybody, I think, that has an interest in Irish sport would know Philly McMahon. Um, he's a bit younger than me, but again, I played football with Philly um, I, I, when I was a little bit younger. And Philly McMahon comes from Ballymun. Um, previously, the high-rise flats in Ballymun, they're no longer there. Um, Philly lived there. Philly is a great advocate and role model for his community. He wrote a book a few years ago called The Choice. It won awards. Um, and I read that book, obviously, um, with great interest. And he told an anecdotal story about he was walking past. There was kids kicking a ball against the wall. They said, oh, hey, you Philly, how's it going? Um, and Philly sat down with them and just had a chat. And he, in, in the book, he describes um, the conversation with the child or the, or the kids that, that were there. And Philly was asked, are you proud of being from here? And he kind of, it, it took him aback because he'd never, A, been asked that by anybody, even though he was a fairly well-known public figure. Um, and he said, yeah, I'm very proud of being from Ballymun. And when them words were written on the page, I'd never seen that either. And it was a kind of lightning bolt to me that I was a public speaker in an industry. I knew I was a little bit different, but I'd never uttered the words I'm proud of Finglas. I'm proud of being from Ballymun. I'm proud of my people, and these are my people. And that was hugely empowering to me and 
to others. Um, role models are really important. I'm going to mention Paul Reed, and he'll hate this again, but Paul Reed um, is the head of the HSE, um, has done an amazing job. You know, recently the HSE have been under huge scrutiny. And again, I don't want to go into too much detail on that. But interestingly, he was mocked and criticized online for his accent because he's from Fingless. Uh, spends more time in Leitrim these days than, than, than in Fingless, I think. But again, it doesn't matter who you are. There's people going to be out there sniping because you're not from the right area or have the right voice. I do see myself as a role model and we need more role models. But even more important, and I've gone on a bit too much about role modeling there, I go back to Danny's point and, and you, you were kind of going towards quotas or what can be done. I think the data sets, the transparent public data sets that regulators and business and commercially are being required in the market, I think they will name and shame companies who, who don't move on diversity. Um, I am against quotas, interestingly, because I think the speed and direction of travel is too slow. Um, but I think the more we can get empirical evidence um, in black and white terms out into the, into the ether, that's positive. And the more we can prove the linkage and causation between diversity and positive outcomes in, in business particularly, um, I think it's going to be data that drives this uh, change. Danny? No? Okay. Uh, we're both about to talk at the same time. Um, I, I completely support and agree. Everything you said just landed and resonated, Adrian, including the role model bit. Thank you for that. Um, I think there's another side here, and this is just me spitballing out loud. As someone who's very interested in this initiative and, and wanting to see fundamental change from the inside out, you know, there's, there's probably an area to explore where you can take the street smart kids, we'll call them that for now because they'll probably grow into that at some point, some of them anyway, but take these street smart kids and maybe put them into um, a program. You know, in the business world, we have uh, startups, we have incubators and accelerators. We take businesses and we move them through their paces so that we become qualified on the other end. And I think that there's probably a good few kids, young people, 20-ish, um, who would benefit from going through like a 12-week or a 16-week program to develop them to rock up to that job interview um, and, and not just be comfortable with their accent, but to own it and actually own everybody in the room with a little bit of um, counsel, feedback, preparation. Uh, so that could be something that goes on on the other side of it and be interesting to document let's say you know 24 kids went through that program you know what they did for that firm that hired them in the first 12 months 24 months i mean that would be that would be really interesting and somewhat inspiring to me and i'd be intrusive and jump on that just really quickly of course and, and, and may i do another shameless plug for something i'm involved in um i'm involved in exactly to that point, an online mentoring program called Inspire. Um, it's, a, it's a project actually linked in, and, and Eileen Slammon are, uh, are the funders of the project. But it's under- Sorry, the, who's the funders? So LinkedIn. Oh, LinkedIn. Um, yeah, okay. LinkedIn um, are sponsoring it. So it's an Innovate Communities project. And it's just interesting to me, right? So we have a pilot, 51% of under 25s are unemployed at the moment in Ireland, which is, a, again, a yeah. shocking number. Um, the pilot program is a mentorship. And again, we can maybe um, 
share details on a separate cover. There is a website. But if the pilot is looking for 18 to 25 year olds to bridge this gap, okay? So the, the pilot is the Liberties, so the area of Dublin, inner city, Ballymun and Finglas. Um, I'm one mentor. So again, we're still looking for mentees and mentors. And again, it, it's the uh, Innovate Communities Inspire project. So I, I, anybody listening that has an interest in that uh, should look it up as well. Because again, you're right, there has to be access into these areas. Um, often I'm talking about these matters and I'm preaching to the choir, if I'm honest. Um, and again, that can lead to confirmation bias. But also on the recipient mm-hmm. side, um, kids in Ballymun, Finglas and the Liberties, they have no idea that these opportunities even exist into uh, financial services or funds or asset management or workspace. They don't see it as, as being for them. Um, and we need to educate them as much as, as, as the intake uh, employers. I, I, personally, I love that. And I, I'm pleasantly surprised to see that that's already in action, but not surprised at all. So um, I'll be checking that out myself. So if I can't get that, uh, the details, I'll be on to you by email after this, Adrian. Um, Danny, you've been so gracious with me. Thank you. Well, you're on a roll. Uh, but I think we, we do need to wrap up because yeah. we have, we have uh, gone on on it. Uh, before we do, Adrian, I'm just interested in when, you, when, when uh, Protect Accent brings its campaign to people in leadership positions in, in our industry or others, how is it received? Is it, is it something that a lot of firms are, have heard about, have a lot not heard about it? Um, are they keen to get involved or do they just want to like it on LinkedIn and that's the extent of it? No, it, it's interesting you say that. It, it, it's a nuanced one because, again, I'm talking about intersectionality. and A lot of firms are genuine and sincere about wanting to make change. Uh, but a lot of firms at the moment, that change would focus primarily and probably rightly on gender equality, um, which we're still striving towards. And in recent times, due to Black Lives Matter, I would say racial has, uh, um, has gone up the agenda. So they're the primary focus in the corporate world. Um, and again, I'll be honest, it's a competitive space. OK, so you're. You, you, you're having to sell your idea and why it's important. So there's a little bit of explaining accent bias and its intersectionality with migrant and, and lower socioeconomic that needs to be done. But again, it's been, it's gathering momentum. Uh, we do, we're starting to, with the charter to get sign-ons. We're open to conversations about this. Uh, we're looking for, you know, partnership. We're looking for people to sign publicly the accent charter, and we're looking for people to engage on the education and training uh, component. So there's a multi-phased approach. Happy to talk to anybody about the Protect Accent campaign. And again, there's plenty on the the wonderful thing and upside of social media is amplifying your message. So there's loads of content both on the website and on the uh, social media feeds about Protect Accent. Any last words? Uh, this is your podcast. <laughs> I, Adrian, God bless you. I, I thoroughly enjoyed learning more about this and understanding it better. Not at all. I really appreciate it, guys. And again, I, I, I'm sincere in saying this. I love the, the, the work you're, you're doing. I, I, I am actually an avid listener of this podcast and uh, a bit of a privilege to be invited on. So thank you.
And then we're going to wrap it up for this episode of the Quest podcast. The, we're going to call it the Protect Accent Campaign podcast. Uh, it's www.protect-accent.com for more information or reach out to Adrian, who is uh, always available and, and, and very articulate speaking on all of these kinds of subjects. Uh, as you can tell, something close to his heart. Uh, so thanks again for listening to this episode of the Quest podcast. We'll catch you next time. You've been listening to the Aquas podcast. For information about our training and advisory programs or our academy, visit aquas.ie. For more resources on regs, funds, and governance, check out our YouTube channel, Daniel Lawler, R-U-R-Q.